Feast of Tabernacles. We're all gathering at different feast sites all around the globe. And as we worship God together, and as we're taught God's word, we're all getting to know one another as brethren. This year, we have a special treat for you in the feast film. We have an opportunity to get to know our brothers and sisters from an area of the world that many of us have never visited. This region has been near and dear to my heart from the time I served in the United Kingdom and Europe and in my travels since. That area is Africa. We have brethren all over the continent of Africa, and it is a huge area. 
In this film, we'd like to give you an opportunity to get to know our brothers and sisters there better. We also want to give you a glimpse of what has been going on in the work of God in Africa, actually for decades. To guide us in our tour of the work of the Living Church of God in Africa, I'd like to introduce a man that I've worked with for a number of years and who has spent many years serving our brethren in Africa, Mr. Peter Nathan. Greetings, brethren, wherever you may be celebrating God's Feast of Tabernacles this year. Welcome, or as they would say in Swahili, Karibusana. I'd like to give you an insight, an overview into the work throughout the African continent. It will be in part a geography lesson as well. Perhaps the best way to introduce the topic of God's work in Africa over the last half century is to take you to where Mr. Herbert Armstrong spoke in Kenya in June 1975. Currently, I'm standing in front of the iconic Kenyatta Conference Center in downtown Nairobi, Kenya. In June of 1975, in this very location behind me, Mr. Armstrong spoke to some 1,500 Kenyans for three nights in a row, preaching the gospel of the coming kingdom of God. With me today are three men who were part of the audience on that occasion. We have Thomas Gethinji in the wheelchair. We have his favorite driver, Pascal Noeta, and also Stephen Mugambi. In 1975, they had traveled some 300 kilometers from their homes on the northern slopes of Mount Kenya to hear Mr. Armstrong over those three evenings. They still form the core of a congregation in Kibaricia, in the Meru district of Kenya, faithfully serving their God some 47 years later. My name is Thomas Kivenji, one of the members in Kibaricia, Living Church of God. And what I can confirm to brethren at this feast is that one, the word of God goes out it doesn't go empty because since I was called back in 1975, I'm still in God's church and still growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ because of the teachings, literature, and whatever God has provided for his people to learn from. Those who are hearing the God's word, let's persevere and be in God's church waiting for the coming of Christ. In introducing you to Africa, I'd like to focus on the promise given in Isaiah 55 in terms of the broader aspect of Africa and what our Father has been doing here. It's a wonderful promise, and we'll find it in Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11. It's set in terms of a metaphor of the rain and the giving of crops something that Africans understand very, very well. And he uses that metaphor to describe how God's word is productive. 
For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. A question for you. How does God send forth his word? Mr. Armstrong's preaching in Kenya was an example of that. Our Father uses you and me, human beings, to preach his gospel. This same gospel is still producing a lot of fruit throughout much of Africa. But let's look at Africa for a starter. Africa is a large landmass. It's not really well represented on the flat projections of the world that we so frequently use. But look at a globe of the world to get a better perspective. Comparing other land masses gives you a more appropriate view. To put Africa in its perspective, the continental United States, China, India, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Japan, and other countries all fit within the African continent with room to spare. As you can see, Africa encompasses some 12 million square miles, or 30 million square kilometers, and includes some 59 countries speaking some 2,000 languages and dialect. With a population of 1.3 billion, it represents 17% of the world's population. Yet Africa as a continent represents 20% of the world's land surface. Here's a surprise for you. The Sahara Desert by itself represents 30% of Africa. That makes it over 6% of the world's land surface. I like to think of the Sahara Desert as being God's largest potential rose garden. To put it into another perspective for you, the continental United States would easily fit within the Sahara Desert. Let me pose some questions for you. So what is God accomplishing here in Africa? What is he accomplishing for the church throughout the entire world? What is he accomplishing in your life and mine? Twenty years prior to these men listening to Mr. Armstrong in Kenya, his voice was heard over the airwaves of Southern Africa, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God from South Africa's very first commercial radio station. That was in June of 1955. Radio Lorenzo Marx, or Radio LM, as it came to be known, broadcasted from today's Maputo in Mozambique. Radio LM provided an open door to reach the population centers 
of southern and central Africa. Then in 1958, Radio Elizabethville, or Lubumbashi as we know it today, situated on the copper belt on the border of the Congo and Zambia, was added, beaming Mr. Armstrong's voice even more powerfully to the people of Central Africa. Then in 1962, Western Nigeria broadcasting stations in Lagos and Abaden, Nigeria, started airing the program throughout West Africa. Advertisements in European magazines, such as Reader's Digest, found their way into the hands of African readers, adding to the response level. Fruit quickly followed. In 1961, Dr. Roderick Meredith and Raymond McNair conducted a baptizing tour throughout Central and Southern Africa, baptizing people in Zambia and South Africa. I remember getting Dr. Meredith to reminisce several times about that tour. One name stuck in his mind, Mr. Mwambula of Zambia, the very first black African baptized on that tour. As our favorite and trusted driver, Carlos, would say, Mr. Nathan, can you just imagine? <laughs> well, I certainly can, Carlos. I even got a chance to meet Mr. Mwambula on a visit to Zambia in 1976, 15 years later. It was hard to imagine that such a humble beginning would produce so much fruit. Dr. Meredith rejoiced in seeing a solitary African become part of God's church. In March of 1963, an office was opened in Johannesburg to handle the continuing response to the radio programs to care for the members with the congregation started in Johannesburg and then subsequently in Durban. South Africa became a home base and a springboard to the rest of English-speaking Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Mauritius, Kenya, Zambia. The South African office was used mightily to enable the word to keep going forth from God's mouth to South, Central and Eastern Africa and continues to provide that support until this very day. Simon Muthama, area pastor in Nairobi, notes some of the growth of the church throughout Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. Greetings, brethren, wherever you are in the world. My name is Simon Muthama. I pastor the Living Church of God in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. I wish to let you know the growth of the church since 2005. Since that time, we had 50 brethren in attendance. Today, 2002, we have 457. That is a tremendous growth that God has given unto us. So we thank the headquarters that 
they continue providing us with the material that we may continue growing and prosper. May God bless you all and have a wonderful Feast of Tabernacle 2002. Responses from West Africa were handled by the United Kingdom. It was not until early 1971 that we're able to send a baptizing tour to the area. Responders to the radio programs and the plain truth had to rely on personal correspondence. Snail mail, as we referred to it. No one had cell phones, and the internet had yet to be invented. We waited and prayed for God to give the increase. That first baptizing tour in 1971 was only able to visit Ghana and Cameroon. Nigeria, racked them by civil war, had to wait until 1973 before a baptizing tour could even be admitted into that country. It was dangerous and difficult. Nevertheless, some determined Nigerian subscribers traveled across three borders from the east of Nigeria to Ghana to visit with the ministry and be baptized. Traveling in Africa by road was grueling. The roads were potholed and narrow. Buses, matatus, and taxis are packed with people and sometimes animals, all without air conditioning. And today, travel isn't all that different. Irrespective of the challenges, God's word was going forth, producing fruit. But what we saw wasn't all that was happening. In a ministerial conference this March, Mr. Richard Ames made an appropriate statement about how God works. Our small efforts are multiplied by what Christ does in ways we just don't know about in reaching various people in various countries around the world. So that's so very, very encouraging. And I just think in terms of the promise in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations and preach the gospel as a witness to the world. Why is that comment of Mr. Ames so important? Let me give you two examples of how it has happened in Africa. Parallel to the work that Mr. Armstrong started through the radio program were the efforts of his contemporary, Mr. Andrew Duggar. If you read Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, you will be introduced to Mr. Andrew Duggar. He was one of a few leaders within the Church of God's Seventh Day who identified with what God was accomplishing through Mr. Armstrong. Like Mr. Armstrong, he was deeply committed to seeing the gospel preached in all the world. Unlike Mr. Armstrong, he was not a radio broadcaster, but simply a writer. In the early 1950s, he emigrated from the United States to Israel, where he established the Jerusalem Church of God Seventh Day, 
believing that he had to send the good news out of Zion. East and Central Africa were relatively close to Jerusalem and became a fertile ground for his literature. He died in 1975 at the age of 89. Subsequently, the congregations that were raised up in Kenya and other areas were split apart by intertribal rivalry, and the organization ceased to provide leadership or teachings to these African brethren. Over the past two decades, we've found numerous groups and elders from the Jerusalem Church of God Seventh Day gravitating towards us. In Kenya, Ephraim Abak was a district superintendent for the Western Kenya in Jerusalem Church of God Seventh Day. Ephraim had grown up in an environment with strong Seventh-day Adventist connections, yet he felt drawn to become a Muslim because of a confusion of Christianity, until he heard a message given in his community about the festivals of God. This drew him to the Jerusalem Church of God Seventh Day. Subsequently, Mr. Abak, together with seven elders and congregations of over 300 people, sought and became part of Living Church of God. Today, Ephraim Abak is now an area pastor with Living Church of God. He currently lives in Kendu Bay, close to the shores of Lake Victoria. He describes his first contact with the Jerusalem Church of God's Seventh Day. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I had my first cold contact with the Jerusalem Church of God's Seventh Day in December 1978. I listened to a presentation from a man about the fifth day of God. He gave me literature like this magazine. This is a magazine called Judah. I still have this copy from 1975. After reading and I listened to them, I was crying. It was the same Bible, but I saw a new information. I felt that God was calling me, so I went to attend the Passover in 1979. I was baptized before the Passover and took the Passover. I was rejected by my own congregation, by my own church, in the building that I own, but I continue to learn and uh, keep the feast festivals. In uh, 1986, I was ordained a pastor in Jerusalem, Church of God Seventh Day, founded by Andrew Dagger. I became the deputy overseer of all Western Kenya with 50 churches and almost 1,000 people, including 50 elders. Over time, we, we had a tribal disagreement, and I was given a mandate to find a new church to fellowship with. This is when I believe that God accomplished something very great. I saw Meabsungu, a white man with a flat tire. He turned out to be a minister in the Church of God. I told him about my mandate, which made us come together as brothers. 
I also met Mr. Peter Nathan at this time, he also my brother. Today, I'm still responsible for Western Kenya in the Living Church of God, serving 11 congregations and over 600 people. God continue to call me, uh, to call more people in Kenya, and we are all perspiring uh, uh, of God's word. I hope that you all have great feast and tabernacle for Erokamano uh, Ahenya. Yes, we sometimes also perspire as we prosper in God's work. Pastor Abak is a deeply committed pastor and is known and deeply respected in this area of Western Kenya. In the past two decades of visiting Mr. Abak and his family, I've come to deeply respect his dedication and adherence to God's way of life. Further south, in French-speaking Burundi, a member of the Jerusalem Church of God's Seventh Day sought us out and is today an elder in Living Church of God. Juvenile Karbuini is fluent in Kurundi, the local language of the peoples of Burundi, also French, English, Swahili, and Romanian as he undertook university studies in Bucharest, Romania. Following Juvenile, we had two more elders from the Jerusalem Church of God, Seventh-day Seek Us Out. They have kept the feast with us since 2016, and in 2021 we were able to hold feast sites in Burundi in their own areas. Subsequently, we've had numerous other elders and congregations seek to join with us. Interestingly, Juvenile Karwini knew most of these leaders when they were all together in Jerusalem Church of God, Seventh Day. Now, not all the people from Jerusalem Church of God, Seventh Day, have sought to fellowship with us. Divisions have occurred within that organization separating former congregations and even family members. Those who have joined us have been convicted about the decision they have made, desirous to know more of God's plan and to be able to grow in understanding. So these people heard the word of God from a different source, but also recognized the message we were teaching and sought spiritual leadership and guidance so that they could grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, as Peter instructs. I'll let Mr. Reese Ellis introduce the second remarkable display of how God can work in ways we don't appreciate. Mr. Ellis oversees the French-speaking congregations throughout Africa, Here's a very interesting story to share with us. Thank you, Mr. Nathan, and greetings everybody around the world. Wishing you all a fabulous feast. About three years ago, I met Eli, a young fellow in Lome, Togo, a country to the east of Ghana on the west coast of Africa. But during our conversation, he mentioned that the name of his church was Église de Dieu Vivant, 
That is translated as Living Church of God. Exactly the same title as our congregations in French-speaking areas. When the young man, Eli, mentioned the name Herbert Armstrong, you can imagine my amazement. I had to meet their leader, who was waiting for such an encounter. So the next day we travelled six hours north to Badou in the Togo Highlands, and there I met Jeremy, a school director and overseer of the French-speaking congregations in Togo and Benin. He described to me the origins of the church. The founder was a Roman Catholic who, back in 1965, was given a copy of The Plain Truth and started reading the magazines, the booklets, as well as studying the correspondence course. Francis Oyer, son of the founder, provided me with more details of what had occurred with his father. His father communicated often by mail with our personal correspondence department, believing he was getting his responses directly from Mr. Armstrong. He wanted to really understand the Word of God. In 1967, he started a church in Ghana, preaching from our early literature. And he wrote to Mr. Armstrong and suggested that Mr. Armstrong take over the congregation he had formed, to which a response came that if he had a congregation of 50 people who were faithfully tithing, he would not need any support. Spurred on by the response, that congregation has now spread throughout neighboring Togo and Benin in the subsequent years. They base their teachings on what was learned from Mr. Armstrong. Today, this group has a reported attendance of some 1,500 people each Sabbath, 500 in Ghana, and another 1,000 in Togo, with some people in Benin, and most interestedly, the Islamic country of Burkina Faso. We now provide them with English and French literature to enable them to carry on with the preaching of the gospel in their part of the world. Now, we've been speaking primarily about the gospel being preached in the English language and have made some forays into the French-speaking areas such as Burundi and Togo. But here's an interesting fact for you. Did you know that Africa makes up more than 70% of the total French-speaking population of the world? It's estimated that there are over 150 million French speakers in Africa. So a great opportunity exists in the French language. In fact, one of our largest church congregations in Africa is French-speaking. Kinshasa, in the Congo, with an attendance of over 100 people. Growth in this area was largely word of mouth. French-speaking Africans have listened to Mr. Dibarapatian on radio or found the magazines in France or other parts of Europe. Once again, we find those who responded to Andrew Duggar in Burundi and the Congo have sought us out, seeking spiritual leadership. Today, we have other opportunities for preaching the gospel. Let me give you a right up-to-date example given to me just before we recorded this program. Our most recent whiteboard, The Three Heavens Explained, translated into French, generated a very respectable 
34,000 views in its first two weeks on YouTube. Of those 34,000 views, 27% came from 17 French-speaking nations in Africa. So God has given us the tools and resources to be involved in the fulfilling of the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that our calling involves much. The Living Church of God is actively involved in preaching a warning message and acting as a watchman. And what is astounding is that besides those in Ghana and Togo that Mr. Alice spoke about earlier, right now we have approximately another 2,000 people keeping the Feast of Tabernacles in 17 sites throughout the continent. In conclusion, I want to show you just a couple more maps. Why not? This is also a geography lesson, right? In this first map, the green shows the countries with congregations and members. Obviously, in the north, there's a lot of white. But you will notice that in the south, we have white areas on the map. These are principally Portuguese-speaking nations. Angola on the left-hand side, on the west, Mozambique in the east. The church now has recently established a full range of literature in the Portuguese language, which can now be used in Angola and Mozambique. In the north, our father has another challenge. The Islamic world. Will this challenge involve us? If the gospel is to be preached to all the world, then there has to be a witness to the Islamic world. Now, we already have members from Egypt, Senegal, and other Islamic nations in various congregations in Europe and elsewhere. But are they the extent to which our Father wishes us to witness to those nations? Amazingly, our Father appears to be calling some people in Burkina Faso, a largely Islamic state. Why is that amazing? Burkina Faso is a religiously diverse society, with Islam being the dominant religion. A recent estimate by Pew Research Center notes that almost 63% of the population are adherents of Islam. Only 22% of the population practices Christianity, while another 15% follow animism or the folk religion, Africa's traditional religion. On behalf of the church members in Africa, I want to thank all of you for your continued support, prayers, and generosity towards the Living Church of God. 
I hope that this insight and geography lesson has been helpful and inspiring to you. What are we doing today to send out the Word of God? Well, we air the Tomorrow's World program on several television stations in Cape Town and in Uganda. We air a radio version of the program in northern Uganda. Old French-language radio programs are repurposed in the local languages in Togo and Cameroon. In South Africa, we have a highly successful Facebook advertising campaign to attract new subscribers in both English and Afrikaans languages, the results of which have been stunning. The Internet, as I described earlier with YouTube, is also an effective way for people to establish contact with us throughout Africa especially on smartphones and handheld devices. God's Word, the Gospel message, has been sent out throughout the African continent over the past decades and continues so today. It has produced fruit and is still producing fruit. I gave a sermonette in Ghana on my first visit in August 1977. Now you know almost how long I've been coming to Africa. It was centered on Isaiah 55, verse 11, that we examined earlier. Today, 45 years later, the promise of that verse rings louder than ever across the length and breadth of the African continent. But as for now and during the special time at the Feast of Tabernacles, as we are seeking the eternal while he may be found. We can rejoice together while giving the Heavenly Father the praise and glory for the precious calling he's given each and every one of us. So what is the Father accomplishing in Africa? What's he accomplishing for the church throughout the entire world? What is he accomplishing in your life and in mine? Isaiah was inspired to write of a proclaiming of the gospel. In chapter 55, verse 11, he makes an interesting statement. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God is keeping sending his word throughout the African continent. There is much to look forward to. There is still a great work to be done. The Word of God will accomplish what the Father pleases. But let me focus on that word accomplish used in our English translations. This is the same Hebrew word used for the first time in Genesis chapter 1, verse 7. There is translated as... God made the ferment. In verse 26 of Genesis 1, we see that we were to be made after the image and likeness of God. We were made physical. But our Father is still making something of us. Not physical this time, but spiritual. 
so we can become part of his family. What are we allowing our Father to make accomplish in our lives? We've been given ears to hear and eyes to see by the power of his Holy Spirit. We are at the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating the coming kingdom of God, representing a future ruling of the government of God on this earth. We hope you've enjoyed this little snapshot of an enormous work and opportunity that our Father is working out. It's an honor for all of us to be in God's church, to be part of this effort. Thank you for all of your prayers. Now you know, our Father has been answering them. So once again, on behalf of your brothers and sisters throughout all of Africa, I wish you an uplifting and joyous Feast of Tabernacles. Kwahiri, as they say in Swahili. Thank you, Mr. Nathan, for that inspiring and helpful look into what God is doing in Africa. We truly are one body. No matter where we come from, what language we speak, or what culture we are part of. What a wonderful chance to get to know a little bit more about our brethren in Africa. And brethren, when we think of the days we are observing, it won't be that long before these faraway places won't seem that far away at all. When we are serving in God's kingdom as kings and priests and serving people all over this globe. And it may be that members in Australia, the United States, Canada, parts of Europe or other parts of the world may never meet some of the brethren that we saw on the screen in this life. But we will all be working together under Christ's rulership as representatives of the kingdom of God. So let's rejoice together in the good news that God is calling men and women from all over this globe. And we can be part of that effort bringing many sons to glory and preparing the way for the Son of God to return to set up his kingdom. May God speed that day.